Amen. Thank you for your singing this morning. That third verse is one of my favorite verses in any song that we sing. Behold, our God shall dwell with us. We shall ere his people be. God is going to be dwelling with us. He will be our steadfast light. What does it say in Revelation? There is no need for the sun or for the moon. Why? Because God is our light. We shall ere his people be. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that we sang this morning. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to open it to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, as we conclude here, our study in the book of Daniel, it's been one that's been a joy, I hope. It's been an encouragement. Maybe you've learned something new along the way or uh, thought about something in a different light. It's been a good study for me personally. I'm not going to lie. Not going to be sad to see Daniel in too. There's just some hard things to wrestle through. Uh, but I'm very thankful for God and his word uh, that he is faithful to it. And so this is our concluding message here in the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 13, the end of Daniel 12, and then a brief recap of the entirety of the message of Daniel here. So if you found your way to Daniel 12, it's page 750 in the Pew Bible. I'll pray, and then we'll look here at our final verses. Father, thank you for the promises that we've sung. Lord, they are true. Though as we look in the world around us, it is dark. It is full of sin and wickedness, and evil seems to triumph. But yet we know a day is coming when it will be done. When your righteousness and holiness will fill the new heavens and the new earth. And that conquering King Jesus Christ comes. And as he conquers and rules with a rod and is firm and just and steadfast, he is also the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, may our hearts yearn for that day and long for it and live in light of it. Lord, help us now as we read your word that we would understand it. Lord, that we would take these promises and these prophecies to Daniel and see how they have been completed and yet how some are yet to be completed, but the end we know is secure. The, the ultimate victory comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us now as we come to your word. We pray in your son's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read verses 5 and 6 by way of introduction this morning. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? How long? How long? How many of you asked that question for a variety of reasons? How many of you are asked that question for a variety of reasons? If any of you are parents right now, I guarantee you, you'll probably be asked at some point today, how long till something? How long till lunch? How long till I can have a snack? Uh, how long until this? Nora knows her birthday is coming. It's, it's towards the end of November. And we say, your birthday's coming tomorrow no in a little bit so a day after tomorrow no in november is that next week how long 
In Daniel chapter 12 here at the end, there is this question given by Daniel, but also by these other men who we understand to be angelic beings. And they ask this individual over the water that we read of in Daniel chapter 10, this man clothed in linen who is unlike any other man that we read of here in the book of Daniel. And the question is, how long? How long until this judgment and this persecution and these terrible things that we've read about at the end of Daniel chapter 11, how long will they last? How long until they are done? When will this be complete? Will it go on forever? No. The question that is posed refers to the end of what we understand to be the great tribulation or this final pouring out of wrath and judgment on the earth and upon Israel for their uh, rejection of God. But we see here, as we've been looking in the book of Daniel in chapters 10, 11, and 12, that the spiritual warfare that has been present will continue to be present until the final consummation of Christ's kingdom. We see this wrapped up here in the end of chapter 12. When we have this vision of the end, when the days are complete, when the righteous will stand with God and the wicked will be overcome, those who respond and understand and those who are ignorant and ignore at the end of days. So as we look here in Daniel chapter 12, we understand the big idea, as I've already mentioned, that spiritual warfare has been present and will continue to be present until the final consummation of Christ's kingdom. In Daniel chapter 10, this final vision of Daniel begins. And Daniel, as he is away from the capital along the banks of this river in modern-day Bab- modern Iraq or ancient Babylon, he sees this vision of a man over the river. And this man is unlike any other man he's seen. Now, he's seen angels in his visions, But this one is different for the effect that it had on Daniel was so extreme. And the recording of his arraignment of of the golden belt and how he spoke, I believe, showing through these different things, that this is uh, an appearance of God, a pre-incarnate Christ, a theophany, which happens several times throughout the Old Testament. This This is the second person of the Trinity here coming to communicate this vision to Daniel. And we'll read more why that is, I think, here in Daniel chapter 12 as well. But Daniel's overcome. But we see how the angels come and minister to Daniel. And Gabriel speaks to him of this warfare that's happening between these spiritual forces. The prince of Persia is attacking Gabriel and Michael. The archangel comes to help and so on. How we realize that the conflict that is described here is far greater than just human interaction. But it's something that's spiritual. In Daniel 11, we read of the rising and falling then of these nations. This vision of the kings of the north and of the south following Alexander the Great, the Ptolemies and the Seleucid. These these events from history that we can go back and we can read and we can see. And then in verse 36 in Daniel 11, we see this shift here to the end times of this one who is unlike any other king that has his, his heart set upon God and his people, or it's rather set against them, we would understand to be the Antichrist, this final enemy that will appear at the end. In 2 Thessalonians, this is the, the man of lawlessness. In Revelation, he's known as the final beast. 
He is the one who is the ultimate enemy of God and will seek to persuade others to follow him and set their hearts against God. And in chapter 12, at the very beginning, we see this final consummation here when the final victory is secured. And then we have this question about the ultimate end. Daniel in verse 5 says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood on this bank of the stream and another on the other bank. So he's back here by the river and he sees an angel on one side and another angel on the other side. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who is above the water, How long shall it be? I think this gives credence to the fact that this person over the water is God. For the angels themselves are asking how long. They do not know. But they are asking this man as if he should know. No one knows the day or the hour except God. So they are looking to this man and asking, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? What is the end of these wonders? What wonders are they talking about here? Where the direct reference is chapter 11, verse 36, through chapter 12, verse 4. This is this great tribulation. The question is, how long will it last? Will this judgment and wrath of God through the Antichrist go on forever? Will it last for a thousand years, 500 years, a couple days, a week? How long? How long will this last? Verse 7, Daniel heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever. So here, Swearing on his own name, swearing on God, the one who lives forever, that would be a time, times, and a half a time. So the length is three and a half. Three and a half what? Three and a half days, three and a half years, three and a half decades, millennia, we don't know. But we see the reference down in verse 11 and verse 12 that here the times refers to a year. So times would be two years, a time would be a third year, and half a time would be half a year. So Three and a half years. Three and a half years, time, times, and half a time, that this wrath, this persecution is poured out upon the holy people, upon the Jews. And it will continue, we look here in verse 7, when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. <clears throat> this, all these things is the encompassing of all these events will be complete will be final, will be full after these three and a half years. This is the end of the judgment that is being poured out. Verse 8, Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. This is one of those small phrases in Scripture that gives me hope. Here is Daniel. Daniel is seeing this and witnessing this. Daniel is a very godly man, been used by God in a great way, and he goes, I heard, and I did did not understand. <laughs> I'm very thankful for that. It's a reminder that there are some things in God's word that are hard to understand and that we may not fully know and comprehend to the nth degree until we are in glory or God himself communicates to us as we are in his presence. But Daniel's confused. He did not understand. He's, he's thinking, is this going to happen now? Daniel's old. Daniel's probably in his 80s. He has seen a lot. Think of all that Daniel has lived through. He was born in Jerusalem. He was part of the, the, the royal household. He was a man, uh, a young man in, in the royal house. He was going to be one of the leaders in, in the nation of Israel. 
Then all of a sudden Babylon comes along and takes the young men into exile, right? In chapter 1, Daniel does not defile himself, but rather sticks to a diet that honors God, and God blesses him and his friends. In Daniel chapter 2, he interprets this vision of this statue that Nebuchadnezzar has. If you remember the four different types of materials, gold to silver to, to bronze to, um, to iron and then clay. And he recounts to Nebuchadnezzar what it means. Daniel 3, you have his companions and the fiery furnace. In Daniel 4, Daniel communicates the truth to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar ends up praising God, giving him honor and glory in a clear declaration. And then chapter 5, we have the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar and the handwriting on the wall, and Daniel's still there. And then comes another regime, and the Persians, and Daniel survives the lion's den. And during those latter years, he's receiving these visions of the four beasts and God's course of history that he has set out. He has the vision of the ram and the goat, and then he's crying out to God saying, when will we return to the promised land? God, we're in exile. Are you ever going to bring us back? Are you ever going to bring us back to the promised land? We have the vision of the 70 weeks, followed by these last three chapters, which in a sense are an explanation of those 70 weeks. And this three and a half years here, the final culmination of that 70th week, when things are as worse and as terrible as they're ever going to be. Yet Daniel knows that it's hard. Daniel asks, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Daniel, this is the man over the water. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. He's saying, Daniel, live your life. You may not know the outcome, and it's not for you to know. But know that the message is shut up and sealed, meaning it is kept, it is secure. Not that it's hidden, not that it's being uh, kept from anyone, but it's being uh, sealed up so it endures. So that those in the future may know it and understand it. It is sealed, it is complete, it is for those in the time to come. But you, Daniel, go your way, live your life. And what is the end? Verse 10 and 11 and 12. Give the outcome. One of two ways. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. So you have those who purify and refine, those who are white or or holy. But then you have the wicked. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. So you have two responses to this vision. You have those who are righteous, who purify themselves, who are refined, who are made white, and those who are wicked, and those who lack understanding. This does not mean that if you don't understand this, that you are wicked. What this is saying is that those who seek to know God and His plan will seek to understand They will seek to know, and they will know that God is true, and you can trust his word, and what his plan is is what's going to happen. But the wicked do not understand the fact that God is sovereignly in control, and they set themselves up against him. Meaning the understanding here is not necessarily of the vision, but what is God doing through the vision? The fact that he is exercising his power, his plans over these human 
governments and nations and individuals. One is like Nebuchadnezzar, who humbles himself before God and gives glory to him. The other is like Belshazzar, who sets himself against God in wickedness and is ignorant and does not understand and brings about destruction. If you remember our understanding of the structure of the book of Daniel, chapters 4 and 5 are are where the, the pyramid or the chiasm meet. Because you have two responses to God. You have one of humiliate, or being humble, humbling yourselves before him and seeing him as sovereign and ultimately in control and the great and mighty God above all. Or you have the one who sets himself against God, who is ignorant, who mocks God in his foolishness. You have Nebuchadnezzar who humbles himself but is restored. And then you have Belshazzar who takes the vessels from the temple and Dishonor God's on purpose. And what is his end? He does not heed the truth of who God is. Nebuchadnezzar is exalted. Belshazzar is destroyed. I believe Nebuchadnezzar is in the first one. The one who purifies himself, who makes himself white and is refined. And Belshazzar is the wicked who does not understand. And the question then for us is, will you humble yourself before the one true God who is sovereign over all? like Nebuchadnezzar, or will you stand in opposition like the wicked, like Belshazzar against God, and be humbled for all eternity? For that is the ultimate end. There's one of two ways to heed God for who he is or to reject him and not understand and act wickedly. These are the results. And this man keeps speaking in verse 11, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, The abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. That's roughly three and a half years. If you take 30 days a month, there might be a little leeway there with how you calculate it for how many days are in a month. That's three and a half years. So from the time when the burnt offering stops until this ends is three and a half years. We understand that the Antichrist from other passages of Scripture will reinstitute the sacrifices in the temple for three and a half years, but then it will stop. And then the the great tribulation will begin and he will desecrate the temple. This is the abomination of desolation here. Much like Antiochus Epiphanes, who came before, was a pattern. We see it repeated here. It's three and a half years of this great tribulation of God's wrath being poured out. Verse 12, blessed though is the man who waits, who arrives at 1,335 days. Now we have this additional number of additional 45 days. So what's happening here? Well, we see the one who waits, who endures, is blessed. So this is someone who has their heart set upon God, who's a follower of God through this terrible tribulation. They did not give in to the distractions of the Antichrist. They did not shake their fists at God, but rather they humbled themselves and followed him, trusted in him. This extra 45 days, there are several different ideas. We don't necessarily know for sure exactly what's all going to take place. But we understand that the Antichrist is ultimately defeated with the return of Jesus at the Battle of Armageddon, the second coming. He is destroyed. And following this, Christ sets up his millennial reign. Revelation 19 and 20. The millennial kingdom. Most commentators who have this perspective understand that 
there's some paperwork that needs to be done. <laughs> and setting up of the kingdom. So there's 45 days. There's a little leeway there, you could say, from when Christ returns until his kingdom is inaugurated and begins here physically on earth. So the point is, the one who endures through the sufferings of this great tribulation will be blessed because they are entering into the earthly millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. The complete opposite of what was just endured in that three and a half years under the Antichrist. So we see here the vision of the end. The wicked will perish. The faithful will be purified and refined and if they endure, will be blessed as they enter into this new age. But for you, Daniel, he says in verse 13, go your way till the end. Live your life, Daniel. Live your life. Live your life till the end and you shall rest. You will die, Daniel. This term rest is a euphemism for death, much like sleeping is often in Scripture. You shall rest. He's not saying that Daniel will see this time. This time is far off. Daniel, live your life. Continue to be faithful and rest. But know this, Daniel. You shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Daniel, live your life. You will die. You will sleep. You will enjoy paradise. But know this. When all this comes to the final consummation, Daniel... You will stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Daniel here is, is again this hint of resurrection. You will stand. You will be raised up. And you will enjoy the final consummation of this kingdom forever. This vision of the end gives a time frame to this wickedness that will be poured out. It gives a description of the two responses to it. One of, of righteousness and one of wickedness. But understanding that it will come to final completion at the end of days. And those who are faithful to God will continue to stand in their allotted place. So as we conclude chapter 12 here and take a step back and look at the whole of the book of Daniel, some major themes that we've talked about, right? Our subheading for this series was God's plan over human powers. That's what the book of Daniel is showing if you remember at the beginning, the nation is taken into exile. They were in Jerusalem in the promised land. They are overcome and they are conquered by Babylon and they are taken to Babylon. Why? Because the nation rejected God. They've rebelled. They sinned. They followed idol, uh, idols. And this was a warning that was given at the end of, Deut end of Deuteronomy. You do this, I'm going to pour out judgment. They did it. God poured out judgment. <laughs> he took them into exile, but yet God promised that he would return them from exile. In Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, and even here is a promise that they will return. Daniel, the first half of the book you could say is about life in exile. And the second half, all the visions are about getting home from the exile, how the Lord is going to sovereignly work through the rising and falling of nations to bring them home not only to Jerusalem, but ultimately into his eternal kingdom. God is sovereign over human powers. And as we read, especially chapter 11, the wars and the battles and the fighting and all the ins and the outs and 
how this happens and will continue to happen. That's the tale of human history, right? Conflict and battle and war and I want this and I want this and control and power and land and authority and provisions. Yet all of it fits into God's plan. He is sovereign. Nothing happens that God does not allow. That's a big picture idea that God is is macro-sovereign, but he's also micro-sovereign. One author I was reading and, and listening to, he said this, that God is meticulously sovereign. How many of you are meticulous about things? It might be about a certain thing, right? You're meticulous about it. I'm meticulous about my books and how they're organized. Sometimes I think I shock Pastor James when he walks in and asks for something. I'm like, yeah, one second. I go to the section, right? I find it. You might have a hobby or something in your work or something in your, and you're meticulous about it. Every fine detail is under your watchful eye and you want it a certain way. God is like that. God is sovereign over nations, but he's also meticulously sovereign in your life. There is nothing that happens in your life that God does not allow. That's important for us to realize how big God is, be it how personal he is. And now that's a huge comfort. Because God cares just about as much, or God cares as much about the minute details of your life as the rising and falling of nations. He does. God doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that small thing that happened at work because I'm worried about, you know, what's going on in Israel and this nation and what's coming to power. I don't have time for that. No, God knows all and is sovereign over and through all. Nothing happens without him saying, okay, that's going to work according to my plan in this way. So as something is hard at work or at school or health-wise, nothing happens that's not outside God's control. God puts us where we're at and allows what happens in our lives happen. Take comfort in that because then when you cry out to him, he knows and he is able to do something about it. Not only is God sovereign over all into the minute detail, God is sovereign over the spiritual battle that is happening that we cannot see. I think one theme from the book of Daniel here is the spiritual warfare that is real. We read of it in Daniel chapter 10, but we can see it played out through the false gods and Daniel, as he was able to interpret dreams and and say what was going on where the, the magicians couldn't. And for today, for us, we know that the spiritual battle continues. Paul says it in Ephesians 6, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil, principalities. And so are you ready for the battle? Are you equipped? Are you prepared? Do you have on the armor? Are you in God's word? Are you ready to fight? Are you ready to fight in this spiritual battle? And much like the end of Daniel here, as we think of the battle, we need to know what side we're on. Are you on the side of God or are you on the side of the wicked? Do you know Christ is your Savior? If not, you are God's enemy. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. That is your destination. But this is a warning to us in the book of Daniel that there will come a day when Christ returns and dispenses judgment on the wicked and exalts the righteous. 
Which side are you on? And at the culmination of this battle, this establishment of a new kingdom is not a simple earthly human kingdom, but it's an eternal heavenly kingdom. It's not for the glory of man, but it's for the glory of God. And it's displayed among all the nations through his son, Jesus Christ. The one like the son of man who's been given a kingdom that will last forever. And the one that will fill the whole earth, the perfect kingdom forever and ever. And we long for that day when Christ's return to establish that kingdom. But know this, Christ has already been here. He's come once. And he did not come as the conquering hero, but as the servant king. And what did he secure for us? The ultimate victory over sin, death, and Satan through his death on the cross. And he's bidding us now, come, be a part of my kingdom. Come from the darkness, kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of light. So what was proclaimed in the Gospels. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. For the next time that Christ comes, he's going to come not as the servant king, but as the conquering lamb. It's quite an image. If we take a step back and refocus to the entirety of the book of Daniel, we go to what I think are the theme verses in chapter 7, which remind us of God's sovereignty in his dominion. The ancient of days giving to the Son of Man a kingdom that cannot be overthrown, that will not be taken into exile, but will fill the whole earth, as it says in Daniel 2. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure Wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And thousand thousand served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. This is the Antichrist from uh, Daniel 7 here. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion were taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Beloved, we do not put our hope in earthly rulers. We do not put our hope in earthly kingdoms or governments. We do not even put our hope in ourselves. We put our hope in the one who comes like the Son of Man, sent by the Ancient of Days to establish his kingdom forever and ever. What does Paul say in Romans 8? That the present sufferings of this life are nothing compared 
for the glory that is to come. The book of Daniel reminds us of God's sovereignty. And this passage right here is what fuels us to endure the difficulties of life because you know what? This is not all that there is. Your life is a minute drop in a bucket of eternity. The difficulties that you have in your life for following Christ will pale in comparison to the joy everlasting that we will enjoy with God forever. This is the fuel for our lives. This is when we can face death and chemo and treatments and losses of loved one and a loss of a job and and being ridiculed by our faith and being called backwards and a bigot because we hold to the good news of Jesus Christ because in the end we know what awaits us. We know what the ultimate end is. It's victory for God and his followers. So have hope. Be encouraged. Do not be swayed. Do not go up and down with the news cycle. In fact, shut off the TV and go enjoy God's creation. Enjoy the meal of a loved one. Knowing that for eternity, we will enjoy the good gifts of God with God himself. Know that when your kid is disobeying (laughs) and you're trying to discipline them, you're disciplining them for eternity, teaching them of who God is and the consequences of sin. When you are fighting sin in your life and you fail and falter again and again, do not be overcome with the guilt, but rather confess and keep going, knowing that one day you will be free from sin. The idea of God's sovereignty in his eternal kingdom is not divorced from the difficulties of our present life, but rather it is the fuel by which we face those difficulties through the hope that is in Jesus Christ. May we long for the day of the return of Christ. And as many have said throughout the centuries and will continue to say until he does, let us say together, Come, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word and the encouragement from the book of Daniel and the perspective that it gives. Lord, help us to view our lives in light of eternity, of your plan over human powers, that the ultimate end is the establishment of your kingdom, of you dwelling with us and us dwelling with you forever. And through this, may we say, all glory be In your name, amen. If you would please stand, we're going to conclude by singing that third verse and chorus of all glory be to Christ, reminding reminding us of the hope of the future of our dwelling with God forever.
echo through our hearts this week and every week until we see him in glory or he returns for us. Thank you very much for being here this morning. Reminder of our bonfire fellowship today here at church starting at four o'clock. We'd love to see you. If not, we look forward to seeing you next Sunday. You are dismissed. Have a blessed week.